Hello there, and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes, and this podcast tells the story of the Crusades, but from a different perspective, that of the Byzantine Empire. I've always been fascinated by how the Crusades began, with the collapse of the Byzantine Empire, and a Byzantine call for help, which resulted in the First Crusade. But even when the Crusaders had conquered Jerusalem and established their own states running from Antioch in modern Turkey down south to Egypt, Byzantium was still key to their existence and friction between the Crusaders and the Byzantines was at its height in the Principality of Antioch, which was the most northern of the four main Crusader states. Why? because Antioch had been a major Byzantine city and should have been handed over to the Byzantines when the Crusaders captured it in 1098, had not the Norman leader, Count Bohemond, made Antioch into his own fiefdom. You may remember that Bohemond was one of the great heroes of the First Crusade, a fantastic soldier and general who had been vitally important in the success of the First Crusade, as well as previously fighting the Byzantines when the Normans had invaded northern Greece in the 1080s. But in 1100, Bohemond had been defeated and captured by the Turks. We will rejoin the story in 1103 when Bohemond was released to resume his war against both the Turks and the Byzantines. As before, I'll read extracts from what most people say is the best book ever written on the Crusades, which is A History of the Crusades, written by Sir Stephen Runciman, who was one of Britain's most brilliant historians and whose specialism was Byzantium and the Crusades, so ideal for this podcast. So, let's go. Hope you enjoy it. It was at Melitine in the spring of 1103 that Bohemond was handed over to the Franks. His ransom money had been raised by Baldwin of Edessa and by the Patriarch Bernard with the help of the Armenian prince Vassil and of Bohemond's relatives in Italy. Bohemond at once went to Antioch where he was reinstated in his authority. He publicly thanked Tancred, the regent in his absence, for having administered the principality but privately there was some friction between the two as Tancred did not see why he should hand over to Bohemond the conquest that he himself had made as regent. Public opinion forced him to give way, however, and he was rewarded by a small fief within the principality. The Franks celebrated Beaumont's return by a general offensive against their neighbours. In the summer of 1103, Beaumont, with Jocelyn of Courtenay, raided the territory of Aleppo. They captured the town of Muslime to the north of Aleppo itself and extracted a large tribute from the Muslims of the district, which was used to repay the Franks, who had lent money to Baldwin of Edessa and the patriarch Bernard for Beaumont's ransom. Next, they turned against the Byzantines. The Byzantine Emperor Alexius, 
after writing to Beaumont to require him to give back the Cilician cities, sent his general Butimides to recover them, but Butimides' force was unreliable. He entered Cilicia in the autumn of 1103, but soon decided that the task was beyond him, and he learned that the Franks were planning to expand northward against Marash, which the Armenian Thatul held for the Byzantine emperor. He hastened there himself, and probably by so doing he saved Thatul for the moment. But he was recalled to Constantinople. Early next spring, Beaumont and Jocelyn marched on Marash. Thatul was powerless. The Byzantine army was far away. The Danish men Turks were now on good terms with the Franks. He surrendered his city to Jocelyn, who allowed him to retire to Constantinople, while Beaumont took the town of Albistan to the north of Marash. The Franks now felt secure from attacks from the Byzantines, so they could turn against the Muslims of the east. In March 1104, Beaumont reinvaded the lands of Ridwan of Aleppo and took the town of Basafut on the road from Antioch to Aleppo. But his attempt against Kafalata to the south failed, owing to the resistance of the local tribe of the Banu Alim. Jocelyn, meanwhile, cut the communications between Aleppo and the Euphrates. But if the Muslims of Syria were to be effectively cut off from the Muslims of Iraq and Persia, the great fortress of Haran, situated between Edessa and the Euphrates in the northern Jezera, would have to be occupied by the Crusaders. If they held Haran, the Crusaders could even contemplate an expedition against Mosul and into Seljuk Turkish Mesopotamia. In the spring of 1104, conditions seemed to be favourable. During 1103, the whole eastern Muslim world had been torn by a civil war between the Seljuk Sultan Bekiruk and his brother Muhammad. Peace was made between them in January 1104, by which the Sultan retained Baghdad and the western Iranian plateau. His third brother, Sanjar, already had obtained Khorasan and eastern Iran, and Muhammad obtained northern Iraq and the Jazeera and suzerainty rights over Diyarbakir and over all of Syria. It was an uneasy arrangement. Each of the four brothers hoped soon to upset it, and in the meantime intrigued for allies amongst all the Turkish and Arab princes. In the Jazeera itself, the death in 1102 of the Turkish Akhtabeg of Mosul, Kerboga, whom the Franks had defeated at Antioch, had provoked a civil war. The Ottokid prince of Mardin, Sokman, had failed to secure the succession for his candidate and was at war with the new Atabeg, Jekamish, appointed by the Seljuk Muhammad. Haran itself had belonged to a Turkish general, Quaraja, who had been a Mameluk in Malik Shah's service, but his brutal behaviour had caused the inhabitants to rise against him and to hand over the government to a certain Mohammed of Isfahan. Mohammed, in his turn, was murdered by a former page of Quaraja's called Jawali, with whom he had rashly become intimate. But Jawali's authority was very insecure, while Haran itself began to suffer severely from raids by the Franks of Edessa, who devastated its fields and interrupted its trade. It was clear that they intended soon to go further.
Both Sockman at Mardin and Jekamish at Mosul were alarmed. Their common danger induced them to forget their quarrel and to unite in an expedition against the Crusaders at Edessa and to attack before they were attacked. Early in May 1104, they marched together on Christian Edessa, Sockman with a considerable force of Turkoman light cavalry and Jekamish with a slightly smaller force composed of Seljuk Turks. Kurds and Arabs. Baldwin II heard that they were massing at Ras Alain, some 70 miles from his capital. He sent for help to Jocelyn and to Bohemond and suggested that they should turn the attack by themselves, making an attempt on Haran. Leaving a small garrison at Edessa, he made his way to Haran with a small company of knights and of Armenian infantry levies. The Archbishop of Edessa, Benedict, accompanied him. Close to Haran, he was joined by Jocelyn with the troops of his lands and by the army from Antioch under Beaumont, Tancred, the Patriarch, Bernard and Danebert, who was the ex-Patriarch of Jerusalem. The whole Frankish army numbered nearly 3,000 knights and perhaps three times that number of infantry. It represented the full fighting force of the Crusaders of northern Syria, apart from the garrisons of the fortresses. The army assembled before Haran, while the Turkish princes were still at some distance to the northeast, marching on Edessa. Had the Crusaders attempted to take the fortress by assault, Haran would have been theirs, but they were unwilling to damage the fortifications which they hoped to use later themselves. They thought that the garrison could be frightened into surrender. It was a reasonable hope. The Muslims within the town were weak. Almost at once they entered into negotiations, but thereupon Baldwin and Beaumont quarrelled over the question whose standard should first be raised over the walls. This delay caused their downfall. Before they had settled the quarrel, the Turkish army had swung southward and was upon them. The battle took place on the banks of the river Balik, close to the ancient field of Carai, where centuries before the Roman general Crassus and the Roman legions had been annihilated by the Parthians. The Frankish strategy was for the army of Edessa on the left to engage the main Muslim force while the Antiochene army lay hidden behind a low hill about a mile to the right, ready to intervene at the decisive moment. But the Turks made similar plans. A portion of their army attacked the crusader left, then turned and fled. The crusaders from Edessa thought that they had won an easy victory and hurried in pursuit, losing contact with their comrades on the right. They crossed the river and fell straight into an ambush laid by the main Turkish army. Many of them were slaughtered on the spot. The remainder turned and fled. When Beaumont, who had driven off the small detachment which was opposing him, prepared to join in the battle, he only found a stream of fugitives pouring from the distance and scrambling back across the river with fresh bands of Turks falling upon them. He saw that all was lost and moved quickly away, rescuing only a few of the crusaders from Edessa. As the crusaders passed beneath the walls of Haran, the garrison fell on them and in the confusion enthusiastically killed as many of the Turkish pursuers as of the crusaders. The army of Antioch escaped without heavy losses, but the 
Christian troops of Edessa were almost entirely captured or slain. The patriarch Bernard was so frightened that as he fled he cut off his horse's tail, lest some Turk should catch him by it, though by then none of the enemy was in sight. Amongst the first to be taken prisoner was the Archbishop Benedict, but somehow he managed to escape. It wasn't so good for Baldwin and Jocelyn, who fled together on horseback but were overtaken in the riverbed. They were brought as prisoners to Sockman's tent. Rightly fearing that the Turks would next attack Christian Edessa, Bohemond and Tancred hastened there to organise its defence. Tancred stayed at Edessa while Bohemond himself moved back to Antioch, whose neighbours were preparing to take advantage of the Crusader disaster. The Battle of Haran was the complement to the Crusades of 1101. Together they destroyed the legend of Frankish and Crusader invincibility. The defeats of 1101 had meant that northern Syria was deprived of the reinforcements from the west that were needed if Crusader domination was to be firmly established there. And the Battle of Haran meant in the long run that the Crusader county of Edessa was doomed and that Muslim Aleppo would never pass into Frankish hands. The wedge that the Franks had intended to maintain between the three Muslim centres of Anatolia, Iraq and Syria was insecurely driven in. And not only the Muslims would benefit, the Byzantine emperor was watching angrily and was not sorry to hear of the Frankish discomfiture. However, the immediate consequences weren't as fatal as might have been feared. The alliance between the Turkish Sokman and Jerkamish did not long survive their victory. The former's Turkoman troops had obtained most of the prisoners and the booty, and the latter was jealous. His Seljuk regiment attacked Sokman's tent and carried off Baldwin himself. The Turkomans were furious, but Sokman showed sufficient self-control to restrain them from counterattacking. He reconciled himself to the loss of his valuable prisoner, but after reducing a few small Christian frontier forts by the simple ruse of dressing up his soldiers in their Frankish victims' clothes, he retired to Mardin and took no further part in the war. The Turk Jerkamish fought on. First, to secure himself against Sokman, he overwhelmed the Frankish castles in the Shabaktan to the east of Edessa, then marched on the capital. Frankish delay had saved Haran for Islam. Now, the Muslims' delay saved Edessa for Christendom. Tancred had time to repair the city's defences and was able to resist Jerkamish's first attack, thanks largely to the loyalty and valour of the local Armenians. But he was so hard-pressed that he sent urgently to Beaumont for help. Beaumont, however, had his own problems, but the threat to Edessa must be given precedence. He marched at once to his nephew's assistance, but the poor condition of the roads delayed him. Tancred, in despair ordered a sortie of his garrison to take place before dawn. In the darkness, his men fell upon the sleeping and confident Turks, and their victory was completed by Bermond's arrival. Jekamish fled in panic, abandoning the treasures of his camp. Haran was avenged, and Edessa was preserved. Amongst the prisoners that fell into Tancred's hands was a high-born Seljuk princess from the emir's household. So highly did Jekamish value this lady that he had once offered either to pay 
15,000 Byzants to ransom her or else to exchange Count Baldwin himself for her. News of the offer reached Jerusalem and King Baldwin of Jerusalem hastened to write to Bohemond to beg him not to lose this opportunity for obtaining the Count's release. But Bohemond and Tancred needed money. While Baldwin's return would have thrown Tancred out of his present post back on his uncle's hands. They answered that it would be undiplomatic to appear too eager to accept the offer. Jekamish might raise his price if they hesitated, but meanwhile they arranged with the emir to have the money payment and Baldwin remained in captivity. Having thus enriched themselves by sacrificing their comrade, Beaumont and Tancred turned to meet the enemies that were pressing around them. Jekamish did not again attempt to attack Edessa and Tancred was able to repair the city's defences but Beaumont had at once to face an invasion by the Turkish emir Ridwan of Aleppo who was advancing into the eastern districts of his principality. In June the Armenian inhabitants of Arta handed over their town to the Muslims, delighted to escape from what they saw as crusader tyranny. The Turks continued their advance on Antioch and the whole of Beaumont's state might have been endangered had not the Turkish emir Dukak of Damascus died towards the end of June 1104, whereupon the emir Ridwan's attention was distracted by the struggle for the succession between Dukak's two sons, Buri and Iltash. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Beaumont's failure to meet Ridwan's attack was due to his preoccupation with Byzantine matters. The Byzantine emperor Alexius was now on good terms with the Frankish states further to the south. Raymond of Toulouse was still his close friend and he had won the goodwill of King Baldwin by himself paying for the ransom of many distinguished Franks who were held captive in Egypt. His generosity had been wisely calculated and was in striking contrast to Bermond and Tancred's behaviour over Baldwin of Edessa and it reminded the Franks that he had influence and prestige that the Fatimids respected. When therefore he took action against Antioch. There was no protest from the Crusaders to the south. In the summer of 1104, a Byzantine army under the general Monastras reoccupied without difficulty the East Cilician cities Tarsas, Adana and Mamistra, while a naval squadron under the Byzantine emperor's admiral Cantacuzenos, which had come to Cyprian waters in pursuit of a Genoese raiding fleet, took advantage of Beaumont's situation to sail on to Latakie, where his men captured the harbour and the lower city. Beaumont hastened with the Frankish troops that he could muster to reinforce the garrison in the citadel and to replace its commander, whom he distrusted. But, lacking sea power, he did not try to expel the Byzantines from their position. By the autumn, 
Bohemond felt desperate. In September, he held a council of his vassals at Antioch, to which he summoned Tancred. There he told them frankly of the dangers that surrounded the principality. The only solution was, he said, to secure reinforcements from Europe. He would go himself to France and use his personal prestige to recruit the men he needed. Tancred dutifully offered to take on this task, but his uncle replied that he did not command sufficient authority in the West. He must remain behind as regent of Antioch, and arrangements were soon made for Bohemond's departure. Late in the autumn, he set sail from St. Simeon, taking with him all the gold, silver, jewels and precious stuffs that were available, and copies of the Gesta Francorum, the anonymous history of the First Crusade, which was told from the Norman point of view and criticised the Byzantines. Indeed, in these copies, Beaumont inserted a passage suggesting that the Byzantine emperor had promised him the lordship of Antioch. This was, of course, a complete lie. Beaumont was well received in France. He spent some time at the court of the French king Philip, who gave him permission to recruit men throughout the kingdom, and he enjoyed the active support of that eager crusader by proxy, Adela, Countess of Blois. Adela not only introduced him to her brother, Henry I, King of England, who he met in Normandy in Easter 1106, and who promised to encourage his work, but she also arranged for him to make an impressive marriage alliance with King Philip's daughter, Constance. The wedding took place in the late spring of 1106 and greatly enhanced Beaumont's prestige. Beaumont remained in France till late in 1106, when he returned to Italy, to Apulia. There he planned his new crusade, which was to begin uncompromisingly with an attack on the Byzantine Empire itself. Cheered by the news that under Tancred's rule, Antioch was in no immediate danger, he did not hurry. On the 9th of October 1107, his army landed on the coast of the Byzantine Empire at Avlona, and four days later he appeared before the great Byzantine fortress of Dyrrachium, the key to the western Byzantine Empire which the Normans had long coveted and indeed had held for a while a quarter of a century before. But the Byzantine Emperor Alexius too had had time to make his own preparations. To save Dyrrachium he was ready to sacrifice his southeastern frontier and he made peace with the Turkish Seljuk Sultan Kilij Arslan from whom he hired mercenaries. Finding the fortress too strong and too vigorously defended by its garrison to be taken by assault, Bohemond settled down to besiege it. But, as in his earlier wars against Byzantium, his lack of sea power was his ruin. Almost at once the Byzantine navy cut off his communications with Italy and blockaded the coast. Then, early next spring, the main Byzantine army closed in round him. As the summer came on, dysentery, malaria and famine weakened the Normans, while the Emperor Alexius broke their morale by spreading rumours and sending forged letters to their leaders, devices that his daughter Anna described with loving admiration. By September, Bohemond knew that he was beaten and he surrendered to the emperor. It was a tremendous triumph for Byzantium, for Bohemond was by now the most renowned warrior in the whole of Christendom. The sight of this formidable hero, towering personally over the Byzantine emperor, yet 
suppliant before him and obedient to his dictation, bore witness which no one could forget to the invincible majesty of the Byzantine Empire. Alexius received Beaumont at his camp at the entrance to the ravines of the river Divol. He was courteous but cold to him and wasted no time in setting before him the peace treaty that he was to sign. Beaumont hesitated at first, but Nicephorus Briennius, Anacomnena's husband, who was in attendance on his father-in-law, persuaded him that he had no option. The text of the treaty is preserved in full in the pages of Anacomnena's extraordinary work, the Alexiad. In it, Beaumont first was made to express contrition for the breach of his former oath to the emperor. Then he swore with the utmost solemnity to become the vassal of the emperor. He was to remain Prince of Antioch, which he would govern under the Byzantine Emperor's control. His territory would include Antioch itself and its port of St. Simeon. The Treaty of Divol is of interest because it reveals the solution that the Emperor Alexius now contemplated for the Crusader question. He was prepared to allow frontier districts and even Antioch itself to pass into the autonomous control of a Latin prince, so long as the prince was bound to him by ties of vassalage, according to the Latin custom, and so long as Byzantium kept indirect control through the church. Alexius, moreover, felt himself to be responsible for the welfare of the Eastern Christians and even wished to safeguard the rights of his unsatisfactory Armenian vassals, the Rupinians. The treaty remained a paper agreement, but it broke Bohemond. He retired humble and discredited to his lands in Apulia and died there in 1111, an obscure Italian princeling, leaving two infant sons by his French marriage to inherit his rights to Antioch. He had been a gallant soldier, a bold and wily general, and a hero to his followers, and his personality had outshone all his colleagues on the First Crusade. But the vastness of his unscrupulous ambition was his downfall. The time had not yet come for the Crusaders to destroy Byzantium. And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd be hugely grateful if you left a rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, since it helps so much to promote the podcast to more listeners. Thank you so much. And in the next episode, we'll hear more about what was happening to the other Crusader states south of Antioch.